The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I am so excited today to have on Doug Vermeeren to radiate profitability, radiate wealth. Doug is the modern-day Napoleon Hill, love that guy, and producer of the top four personal development films, including the newest one, How Thoughts Become Things. Welcome. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Doug. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to have fun. This will be good. (laughs) I think it will be fun. You've got quite a background. I was looking at your website. My gosh, you've done all kinds of things. Uh, And you started very early at a young age. Can you talk a bit about how you got started in being this top profitability coach, this wealth coach? Sure. Well, I guess, uh, like everything in life, it was a happy accident. (laughs) (laughs) I actually came from a background that was fairly average. My parents actually were lower middle class. Uh, My dad worked construction. My mom babysat kids in the home. Both of them worked hard to make ends meet. And even as a family, we would occasionally have to work just to cover the bills. I remember lots of times working with my dad or or even as a family. We delivered flyers, in fact, door-to-door one time for a real estate agent in our, our neighborhood just to get some extra cash. Um, so I was raised in what I call the poverty pattern. And um, I had zero idea of personal development. No one had ever really told me about any of this stuff. And so um, when I was about 19, uh, I was really kind of discouraged. I was trying another job. I failed miserably at high school. Like my marks were devastatingly terrible. And so I thought, what am I going to do? And uh, I had a friend give me two books. He gave me Think and Grow Rich and How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I, I know most people, when they read those books, they're like, oh, wow, inspired. Um, but me, I was, oh, wow, jealous. And uh, mostly it was because, yeah, as you read those books, Napoleon Hill, of course, got a chance to interview like Thomas Edison and Henry Ford and the Rockefellers and the Wrigley's and, you know, uh, Dale Carnegie, same thing. He had all these wonderful connections and both those gentlemen seemed so positive in everything they did and also um, financially stable. (laughs) Let's put that right. I wasn't even thinking wealth at that point. I was looking for financial stability. And so um. I kind of decided, well, and I later found that really what it is is that, 
you know, you become like the five people you spend the most time with. If you hang out with four losers, you get to become the fifth kind of thing. And so I was hanging around with the wrong people, but I saw in their books, it looked like they were hanging around with some incredible people. And so I started at 19 interviewing um, top achievers wherever I could find them. Uh, you've heard the saying, you know, take a millionaire out to lunch, right? Well, I didn't let him go after lunch. In fact, I kept trying to want to meet with him again and again and again. I found a millionaire in our community and I, I started meeting with him and I had met with him for about six months straight, every single time that I could, multiple times a week. And, and he was retired, so he just kind of took me under his wing, which thank goodness for that. And then um, after about six months or so, he said, you know, there's one question you haven't asked me that's going to change everything. And I said, well, what's that? And he says, you haven't asked me who else I know that you should talk to. And so I began to ask that every time. And so within a very short period of time now, I started getting more and more uh, high-level thinkers into my sort of environment. And uh, I eventually got to even people like uh, Oprah Winfrey, Richard Branson, Donald Trump. I got to you name it, the biggest names. And, um, and it really changed my life. And so I started kind of, how should we say, uh, becoming affected and infected by their view of how money was made and how the world really operates in terms of these things. And uh, as a young man, I was able to do my first million, in fact, before my 20th birthday, which was awesome. That's incredible. What what gave you this impetus to start doing that? The- Desperation. <laughs> okay. Desperation. Desperation. Honestly, because uh, I, I was not a good student in school. In fact, um, I was absolutely terrified of the traditional learning methods. I just wasn't built for that. But I've since learned, and maybe a lot of people have, is that, you know, when you try to put, uh, well, it's kind of like that quote from Albert Einstein, where he said that, you know, if you judge on a, a fish on their ability to climb a tree, of course, they're not a genius, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and in school, I was like the round peg trying to fit into the square hole. Like, I mean, since then, it's funny, I've had my IQ tested, and it's very, very high, but not in the scholastic environment. I'm not built for that kind of problem solving in my life. And so I think that for me, the biggest aha, and I hope this is for some of those listening as well, is that, you know, if you feel right now that you're not being successful where you're at, the problem isn't always you. Sometimes it's where you're at. Sometimes it's the context. And I found that when I changed my context and I got the support and the right people believing in me and really that environment, um, here's the deal is, is money is not always a result of the smartest person. And money is also not always a result, well, it's never a result of the time that you trade. And it's certainly not a result of the hard work that you do. It's a matter of learning the systems on how it's created. And then the thing that I learned, it's, it's really built by a team. Yeah. So if, if you put all the weight on you, even that saying, if it's meant to be, it's up to me, that's total bull, baloney. It's not true. The reality is if you look at every successful person in the history of the world, whether they're winning an Academy Award or climbing Mount Everest or winning a gold medal, it's always a combination of the people they surround themselves with. So, you know, I mean, you might be the guy whose name is on, say, the album cover, but if you look, there's all kinds of musicians who are making the music. And so the biggest thing that I found is you've got to find kind of who you resonate with, where you resonate with, and how you can serve and, and just build sort of that that team and that system around it. But heaven knows we can talk more about that later, but that's kind of what happened to me. And that's kind of the way I still do business. I don't put all the pressure and weight on me 
to step out of my comfort zone. Instead, I look for how I can step into my brilliance zone. What am I really good at? And then like a conductor in an orchestra, I don't try to play all the instruments. I know the song, but now I try to find the people who are best at what they do in those instruments, and I let them run with it. Oh, that is beautiful. Now, most recently you did um, the How Thoughts Become Things movie, right, which is the... Uh, the sequel to the secret, the secret behind the secret, if you will. And it was, you know, I saw that fairly recently, the end of September, and it was very transformational. It was, it answered a lot of things. Um, but you've done other films as well. And how did you get into filmmaking in the first place? This is really funny because, again, I've always had this, uh, I guess, artistic bone in my body. The first time I was on a movie set, I was in the second grade. And so I was, a, I was a background extra when I was a kid, and I fell in love with it. It was absolutely awesome. And then growing up, um, yes, I've done a bunch of other films, including stunt work in movies. Because um, one of my passion is mixed martial arts. I do competitive mixed martial arts. So I've done a lot of stunts and stuff. And so the interesting thing is, is when I went out as a 19-year-old, started interviewing these world's top business leaders. Like, I mean, I got to the founders of FedEx, Nike, Reebok, the Avita Group, Christian Dior, Jordache Jean, Gitano Sportswear. I mean, the list goes on. Ted Baker, Ugg Boots, Kajabi. I mean, you name a company, I probably know the, either the founders or the CEOs of it. And so I originally wanted to do a movie on that, right? Like to, to show how these top business leaders who had changed my life could change others' life. And the funny thing is, is judging by my age, you can guess, they used to have uh, video rental places like blockbusters and stuff. And I went in and I shared this idea with them. I said, I'm looking to build a movie. And uh, because I didn't know who else to talk to. And I'll never forget the guy said, well, you know, it probably wouldn't work because we wouldn't know where to put it. Is it a how-to video, like an instructional video, or is it a documentary? Like, where does a movie like that fit? We don't know. And so I... I kind of put the idea on the shelf and then all of a sudden what the bleep do we know came out oh, and the yeah. secret came out and people now had a section for these kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went back and I said, you know, to some friends of mine, I said, I'm thinking about doing a movie like that. And they're like all over it. And so the first movie that I did was the Opus. We put it out in 2008 and um, it had a mix of personal development and business leaders. So, for example, I had uh, like Jack Canfield was in it, Mark Victor Hansen, remember them? Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, Joe Vitale from The Secret, John Demartini, um, you know, Marcy Shymoff, all those guys. But I also had people like Frank McGuire, who is the former VP of marketing for all of KFC, one of the four founders of, of um, uh, Federal Express, Bill Farley, who was the former CEO of Fruit of the Loom Underwear. Uh, I had Bill Bartman, who at well, one time was on welfare, but became the 25th wealthiest man in the United States. He was on the cover of Forbes a handful of times. So um, that movie came out, did really well. Random House picked up the book. They did 23 languages around the world. So that was awesome. Um, but the, the reality is, is after the movie came out, I loved it. But there were still some things that I wanted to share that I had learned from these top achievers. I mean, you can't pack everything into one movie. I mean, we, we love the movies, but they are really just the beginning of a conversation. And so my second movie, I looked at what, what are the business principles that are not really being shared? And as I thought about my visits with people like Oprah and others, the one thing I recognize that all top, top, top business leaders have that most people don't, it's a sense of gratitude. Mm. And so I did my second movie called The Gratitude Experiment. 
and we had um, Bob Proctor in that, Marie Diamond, uh, John D. Martini came back, uh, and he's been in all my films. He's actually one of my best friends. Uh, we had um, John Gray, who did Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and a handful of others. So we talked about the power of gratitude, and that movie did really well for us. And then I had so many people asking me about what I really teach. Like I teach a lot about wealth building and not just the, um, the mindset part, which by the way, I don't believe in the word millionaire mindset because I think set means that we're stuck and we're like, you think about getting set in clay or stuck in the mud or mindset. That's not what's required to be a millionaire. In fact, somebody once asked me, how long does it take the average person to become a millionaire? And my answer is average people don't become millionaires. So you need to become more. Uh, and so I like to use the term millionaire mind stretch. Oh, right? I love that. Mm-hmm. Because I think this is it. And if you look at during the pandemic, this is that people learned how to pivot and stretch in different ways or you didn't survive. And so um, the, the third movie we did was on that principle of the millionaire mind stretch. But we also brought in some very specific activities that a person can do. And that movie's called The Treasure Map. In fact, um, one of the things that's interesting is I, I got off a 26-city tour not too long ago with the gang from The Secret. And um, I ke- kept hearing people talk about affirmations. And I love affirmations. Don't get me wrong. They're great. But to just stand in the mirror and say, you are beautiful, you are rich, you are successful, I think that that's a beginning. So um, it, it's not the end-all be-all. But what I did is I, I invented something called Affirmations. So in addition to just saying affirmations, you are rich. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And you should have something that you do just like as often as you say. So if you're, if you're in the mirror every day saying you are rich, well, then you should have something every day that you're also going to do that's going to lead to that. Because the reality is, is um, you know, how can you tell if someone has prosperity consciousness? And by the way, I love this subject of prosperity consciousness. It's a big passion of me. Um, most people, when they're talking about, they're talking about prosperity consciousness is sort of a, an awareness. It's the affirmations. It's the belief. Well, that's not really how consciousness works. Um, consciousness starts with the awareness. In other words, we see rich people around us, but we measure what we see against what we value and what we believe. So if we see rich people, but we don't believe we could be it, or we don't value it, or we think incorrectly about wealthy people will always put up a block to receiving it or any other next step. So that's the next step is to believe it and hold it in our values. And then obviously consciousness manifests itself in how we behave. So there's those three steps. And if you really don't believe it, you'll never translate your actions into something new, but if you believe it, you will. And I think that this is an important thing. And the problem I think with most people is they want to attract abundance, but you'll never attract abundance if you still got one foot in scarcity right? You can't be spread between the two. You have to be all in. And so when it comes to prosperity consciousness, most people, they see the wealth and they say on the surface, I want that. I want that abundance. But when they measure it against their beliefs and values, they're not prepared to actually translate that to action because they believe that, you know, there's something either not right about being wealthy, or they feel like maybe it's too much work or sacrifice, or they don't believe in worthiness for themselves. And so they eliminate themselves from that opportunity because they've never really solidified that idea that it's possible. Right. Right. And I guess the other thing too, is like a lot of people I talk to, when we talk about the idea or concept of a million dollars, they focus on all the zeros and they say that's zero chance of me getting there. Whereas in what they need to understand, you've heard this before that how do we eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. 
But the problem with most people is they don't know where to stick the fork in first. So you got this big elephant, one bite at a time, you stick the fork in, either the elephant runs or they're afraid it's going to kick them. But you got to learn how to which bite in priority and how to do it. And back to this idea of it's also done by a team. You know, if you think about it, one individual with a fork is not going to take down an elephant, but you get 100 people helping you, suddenly the elephant is yours, right? Oh, so. I love that. I love that. So if, if um, somebody's starting out just kind of waking up to this possibility that there could be more, they could do more, they could show up more in life, where, where would you have them begin? Well, I, I think the first thing to begin is back to this idea, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. No, it's not. I think we give ourselves too much responsibility to make it happen. In fact, I think if we look at a lot of people in life, they, they have no problem like dreaming big, like really, really, really high, right? And they get all enthusiastic and excited about it. But what happens is as they begin to look at the real picture, they say, well, I've never done that, right? I've never had that experience. I don't know the connections. I don't have enough knowledge or capability. And all of a sudden that dream, which was so big, they kind of minimize it back to a level where they can sort of obtain it, right? Where it fits comfortably in their life. And the reality is, is the bigger question that you should be asking isn't how can I do it? It's who can help me do it, mm -hmm. right? In fact, I'll never forget um, one of my very first really big experiences learning this. Uh, just again, back to when I was 19, I, at the time I was interviewing all these millionaires and billionaires, like it was really interesting. And, um, and many of them are still my friends today. Thank goodness. Uh, cause I need their help everywhere I go. By the way, here's something I'll also mention is before your, you've heard that your network becomes your net worth. Mm -hmm. the reality is before your network can become your net worth, it must become your safety net. You have, must have people who are there to help you and answer questions and help you solve bigger problems. And so I would always ask these millionaires out to lunch and being surrounded by so many business leaders, it was inevitable that I was going to get involved in business. So I sat down with this one friend of mine who was a multi, multi-millionaire, almost a billionaire. And I, I never, uh, I'll never forget, I was sitting there talking to him about my business that I wanted to start. And I started saying things like, how can I find the customers? Uh, how can I get extra funding? How can I get the distribution for this? How can I get the marketing figured out? How can I, all these questions, I'll never forget that he just kind of sat there and almost bored, looked at me. Mm -hmm. When I finally was finished, he said, I can tell you're going to start a really small company. And I was like, no, I'm not. No entrepreneur ever wants to hear that, right? right. No entrepreneur wants to hear you're going to start a small company. I said, not a chance. It's going to be big. Again, he didn't budge. He just simply went, no, it's going to be a small company. And I said, well, how can you say that? What do you mean? Right? Like, what do you mean? And he said, well, it's because you're asking selfish questions. Mm. And I said, what do you mean by selfish question? He goes, you're asking about how can I do this? How can I do that? How can I find my customers? How can I do the marketing? How can I? He says, you're giving yourself all the jobs. He says, you know, if you want to become successful and wealthy, you can't ask selfish questions. You must ask instead, not how can I, but who can help me? So in other words, even if you've got a small business right now, you shouldn't be asking, how can I do the marketing? It's who can help me do the marketing. You find the best, right? What is it Steve Jobs said? We don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. If I look at the majority of the money that I make, it's because I've got other people who are smarter than me 
right? And same thing with uh, this question, how can I find my customers? I think right now, most people, especially during this pandemic, have been trying to do everything themselves. But the reality is, is if you ask who already has my customers, sometimes you can joint venture with those people really quickly, right? In fact, a lot of times, even your best people to work with are your competitors. In fact, I don't know if this podcast is audio or if it's video or both, but oh. I've, just, I've just written the word complete, compete, like yes. if we're going to compete, right? Right. The, the reality is, is you're not looking to compete with anybody. What you're looking to do is to see how you can complete. So I've added one letter. And yeah. if you can find out what your competitors are doing and where they're missing things, or you can get involved in help, or you can get involved prior to the customer getting to them or after the customer getting to them or whatever, you'll find that collaboration is a much better position than competition. And to tell you the truth, the collaboration is the new economy. So if you want to become extremely wealthy, you've got to find a way to work with other people. Mm -hmm. And so even with my businesses, like I own right now, probably about, well, we just launched two other businesses last week. <laughs> so now we're up to about 27 businesses that I either own or I'm a part owner in. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and during the pandemic, one of those businesses, uh, just for fun to let you know, did about 14 million in passive income, meaning I didn't do anything. But what it was is I'm actually collaborating with people. And uh, again, back to, you know, you probably notice I've got ADDHD, which is ADD in high definition, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but I noticed that my skill is the creative force. It's not the construction part. And so if I can collaborate with others who have the skill set that I don't have or that I'm not capable of building or, you know, for example, two of the companies that we own are in the space of digital currency, cryptocurrency. Mm. In fact, um, right now we've got an incredible opportunity where with blockchain technology, we're bringing a lot of these things into a retail setting. So very soon, like everybody's heard about blockchain and crypto. Everybody's making money on that. And if you haven't, maybe it's because you just don't know enough about crypto or it makes you nervous. The technology's not there. Well, come reach out to me and I'll show you how you can take care of the other end of it, which is now that we've got so many people with it. How can we get them to be able to use it on a daily basis? And so a company that I just got involved with, we have ATM machines going up all over the world. We've got point of sale things that are coming in. This is going to be a billion dollar thing. Well, obviously, I'm going to share it with other people. But the, the reality is, is when you collaborate with those that have those skill sets of the technology or whatever it is that you don't know or don't have, then you got a winner. But if you're trying to do everything by yourself, you're limited to the skill set that you have. And that's where most entrepreneurs go wrong. In fact, here's a little funny thing I'm at. You know, I failed in school, but I went back and actually um, studied entrepreneurship at the Harvard School of Business. How did they let me in? I don't want to know. Like, it's just crazy. But one of the things that they said in that course, which I, which I thought was astounding to me, but totally true, is that the average entrepreneur has the bandwidth to serve five people, mm. in other words, five customers. When you get to number six, everybody suffers right? Mm. And so the reason why is because most of us don't have the skill set to be able to get beyond that six or onwards, right? Mm. We're, we're trying to do everything ourselves. And in the process, we're crushing everything. And so I don't know, it's just one of these things where I think as I work with entrepreneurs around the world, I, I just see so many with incredible ideas. They've got 
you know, so, so much potential to create something either seven figures or beyond or go international or to even sell the business at, at a high rate of return or whatever they want to do. But the problem is they're trying to do everything themselves. And so because their skill set is small, they always stay small. Right. Oh yeah. So, yeah. A- anyways, <laughs> maybe we're going off topic a bit, but Not I love it. This stuff, so hopefully it's useful. Oh no, that's awesome! Awesome, and um, I want to sh- I want to pivot to your books because you've got a lot of information out there that people can tap into and learn all the things that you're talking about. So yeah, can you talk a bit about the books that you have out there as well? Well, we've got quite a few books that um, are in a variety of cool subjects. Some of my favorite, like I, I wrote one a couple of years ago called Personal Power Mastery that talks about how to tap into your greatest self. It's all lessons that I learned directly from the top achievers. One of the things that, I don't know, maybe this will be frustrating for some, but maybe liberating for others. Mm-hmm. I found that there's a lot of stuff that a lot of the gurus, coaches, experts, thought leaders, and so forth that are teaching today that just doesn't work. Right. In other words, none of it was expressed in the top achievers. A couple of the ones we've, we we kind of talked about already is that if it's meant to be, it's up to me. That's totally bullcrap. All right. top achievers have a team, period. Right. And uh, if you think about it, even the analogy, if you were a professional athlete, let's just say that you were a professional football player. Can you imagine if you had to be the guy to do everything? You book the tour bus for your team. You sell the tickets to the spectators. You get all the team's uniforms pressed and ironed before the game and all these. Like, it just doesn't work, right? Your job is to show up and play. you got to do what you're good at. So I'm also not a big fan of this idea of you need to step out of your comfort zone to be successful. I think the better thing is you need to step into your brilliance zone. What are you really good at? And, and that's where you should be uncomfortable. So if you're really, really good at, let's just say coaching, maybe that's you, then you need to focus on becoming the best coach possible. And that's where you need to step out of your comfort zone. Right. I always said, it's very difficult for a loving thought leader to also be the collection agency. Yet most people do that. Right. Most people do that. So that book is actually really, really cool. And it talks about, you know, the powers of how you can literally, unlock your greatest self. And, and it's huge. In fact, it was funny. Joe Vitale said that it's, it's a classic in personal development. So I'm, I'm honored by that. Oh, um, wonderful. Yeah. So, so it's, it's cool. It's called personal power mastery. So you can grab that, but there's a new one that I've got coming out this year mm-hmm. that I think is um, perfectly in time for what's going on in the world today. Like, let's be honest. Many of us have been like downsized from the businesses that we were working for or let go or made redundant. Many of us have had to start a side hustle. Many of us have had to, you know, just reinvent who we are. And so um, I wrote a book called the six minute workday and essentially, (laughs) and and maybe it's sounding a bit smug. um, You know, I've got a multi, multi, multi million dollar enterprise that I do, but I work about six minutes a day. So how did I do it? Now, I got to confess, things don't start as six minutes because you first have to create things. If you think about passive income, mm-hmm. all passive income starts as an active beginning and then it graduates across to becoming more and more and more passive based on the systems that we put in. Now, here's the deal is I didn't want to make it complex. I wanted to make it simple so anybody could learn how to build these systems. In the book, we talk a lot about how as a 19-year-old, I was not very smart but I was able to do it. So what are the, what are the actual components that will allow you to get to seven figures? That's number one or, or higher, but how can you also do it and keep your time? 
Because right. the reality is, is wealth is not about how much money you make. I mean, if you if you make even a billion dollars, but you're working, you know, almost yeah, right. 23 hours a day, it, right. it's irrelevant, right? The money means nothing. So my definition of wealth for me personally is how do I get to, you know, spend time with the people that I love and care about? How do I get to actually spend the money that I make on the things that I want? How do I get to build legacy and future with, you know, and again, everyone's got different goals. So mine might not be like yours, but I mean, I love the idea. I've got grandkids now. I love the idea that I get to go and, you know, go on school field trips. And I love the idea that I get to do Halloween parties and all these things that, you know, that normal grandparents or even parents don't get a chance to do this. Like, I mean, one of my favorite pictures on my phone is my own son when he was in, um, I guess it would have been the sixth grade. I got to see him win a, what was it? Third place ribbon at their sports day. I didn't have to be at work. And so some of those things are like, for me, my treasures, but you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, a little bit what, uh, what so many other people have said is that unless you learn how to get the money part, right, you'll never get your time part back. Mm. And so, uh, really, I think that that book is a combination of how to do it all and literally have the rest of your day and how to assemble effective teams. And, and, and I guess in comparison, I've had some people say, well, you know, Tim Ferriss has the four hour work week. Well, that's great. I don't, I've never done a four hour work week. I've done a six minute work day lots, but the difference maybe between Tim and I is I don't want you to start your whole enterprise with virtual assistance and i don't want you to have to move to a place like thailand to be able to make your economy work Mm. i think it can be done anywhere and i think it really is about systems and and i'm sure there's people that are using tim's systems and i love tim's book like don't get me wrong i'm sure there are people that are using his systems to get over seven figures but the majority are instead of learning how to build big they're learning how to diminish their lifestyle and simplify it and i think you can have both you can have the simplification and the wealth Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're, if you really want to become wealthy, wealth is never really attached to your time. It's attached to the systems that you set up. Mm-hmm. Well, most people don't know that and they don't know how to do the systems. So, right. So yeah. where do you go to learn the systems? Uh, well, again, this partly see, here's, well, how do we say, okay, let's do this again. I feel bad for those of you who are listening. You should be watching the video because you're going to get a video. But um, if you're listening, go check out the video. Because what I'm going to do is I'll I'll draw a diagram that actually is very interesting about systems. This was shown to me again as a young man when I was, you know, doing these interviews with these top business leaders. Now, remember, it wasn't just... um, you know, your average small business owner that I interviewed, I was talking to the leaders of the biggest companies in the world. And they showed me this little diagram and I'll show you this. And then we'll talk about it in a bit more detail. Um, Maybe the example, maybe the lead into this diagram, I should do it this way. Um, I was uh, wanting to get somebody to invest in one of my companies that I was starting as a 19 year old. And uh, I went and I brought a business plan to one of these multimillionaires. And as I gave it to him, he was looking through it. And um, I kind of thought the business plans, like the thicker, the better. So it wasn't really built for quality. It was built for quantity. And as he flipped open the pages, he says to me, he goes, where are your key transactions? I'd never heard that before. So I started talking about uh, the customers I was going to serve. This is the demographic. These are the people. 
Well, he flipped a few more pages. He says, where are the, where are the key transactions? Well, again, I didn't know what that meant. So I started talking about the marketing plans. Mm-hmm. He again, kind of rolled his eyes and he kept looking through and, he, and a little while later, he asked me again, where are the key transactions? Well, now I started talking about how I'm going to build this amazing product. And he said, no, 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 no. Let's, let's slow down here. Key transactions. We'll start with this. You as a company are going to give to your, you know, your client, either an asset, a service information, or some sense of community. Okay. Now, what I mean by sense of community, if you think of like even a Marvel movie, Mm -hmm. right, the Avengers or something, people go and see that for the feelings that it gives them and the community that they belong to. Right. So that's kind of what I mean by that. But you can sell other things, networking, a subscription, whatever it is. And in exchange, they are going to give you money. Okay. So this is the transaction. Bottom line is, he said, if you don't know what you're selling, you can't know such things as who your customers are. You can't know what your marketing is. You can't know even what the product is or the deliverables. You just can't know it. So you need to know this first in business. This is the first step of building any system. What does the exchange look like? Now, by the way, had we time, we could talk later about how to build an exchange that works, like an irresistible offer, because the reality is nobody trades a dollar to get a dollar. I don't know about you, but when I go to the store, if somebody says, will you give me a dollar for a dollar? It's a waste of everyone's time. So I always need to feel like I'm getting more than what I'm paying for. But in order to provide that as a business, I need to find a way to provide that value without it costing me more than what I'm receiving. Mm-hmm. Right? So we'll, we'll get into that later. But here's the thing with this. You're now asking about systems. So once I understand what that transaction is, there are certain things that will need to take place in order for the transaction to occur. So if again, uh, and you're listening to this on audio, not video. Um, go to the I've YouTube drawn, channel. Yes. Yeah, go to the YouTube channel. I've just drawn little steps that have to occur between each element of the transaction. So in other words, if someone's going to receive this asset, service, information, or sense of community from me, there's certain things that need to occur. But also, if I'm going to receive money from them, there are certain things that also need to occur. I need to have certain systems in place to even be able to receive the money. Now, the more of these systems that I can either automate or delegate, which are actually your only two options. Listen carefully. When building a system, your only two options are to automate it or to delegate it. Those are your only two things you can do. Either it's going to be some kind of technology that does it or someone else who does it on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Now, generally, these systems can be divided into three different elements. I call them tell, sell, and service. So first, tell, how are they going to hear about you, right? How is the word of mouth occurring? How are people being drawn into your business as leads? Now, let's say, for example, one of those things I'm going to do Facebook ads And let's say if I can find somebody that I can delegate that to and the automation of it, I now have one less thing to do. So where my business was active, meaning I was very involved, if I give one of those things away, I just move that much closer to being passive, right? I'm moving towards being a passive business. Let's say again in sell, the idea of selling, which is the next one, so tell, sell, and service, Let's say that I, I, I've got people that I can send out as agents on my behalf, salesmen, sales agents. Well, let's say that that's now gone and it's off my plate. That's one of the steps that's gone. Well, all of a sudden I've shifted again to being more passive. 
let's say for example, now customer service, uh, I've got to get a product shipped to people and I've also got to have people who can respond to questions. I've eliminated two more things. So again, the business has moved that much more passive. Now, the cool thing about this is you'll notice that the arrows still point on who's receiving that service and so forth. So they're still getting it just fine. And the money is also coming in just fine. Right. The only difference is, is I'm not spending the time to do it now. If, if you look at my little diagram, there's technically three more things that need to be done. Well, maybe I can handle three things or maybe I just keep delegating or keep automating and I find more people. And suddenly now I've got a company that's completely passive. And so if people were to ask me, you know, Doug, you talk about a six minute workday. What do you do in your six minutes? For the most part, it's either training people or looking for th new systems. That's really my six minutes. Mm -hmm. And systems generally, because I'm not a tech wizard, I'm actually always looking for people who can do the systems. In fact, it's interesting, if we even look at the idea of networking, like most low-level networkers, they go to a networking event and they're looking for customers, right? Who can buy this from me? Who will become my new customers? Well, my networking's a little different. When I go to a networking event, I'm looking for who can actually fill in one of my blanks and who has the systems that I can just bring straight across or who has my customers. So we got to shortcut everything that we're doing, right? In fact, um, one of my mentors said this, and I thought this was really interesting, just speaking about networking. He said that, you know, you'll never do a million dollar deal at a $10 breakfast because at a $10 breakfast, most of the people there are looking to do, you know, the low level things. They want to find customers. They want to do the work. Whereas in at a high level networking event, people are looking to how can I build connections that will satisfy the things my business needs. Right. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that answers your question on systems. I know we went. No, it does. Oh, that's fascinating. That is fascinating. Uh, and now I want to shift to um, perhaps the meat of the matter, the what's underneath, how thoughts become things, your new movie, and why it's a sequel to The Secret, what's different about that, and what was missing from The Secret that you, th that you thought needed to be addressed. Well, I, I don't know, again, that um, it's necessarily a sequel to The Secret. Everybody's calling it that. Right. Um, but I think The Secret, if we are honest, um, it was the beginning of a conversation, right? Right. And, um, you know, since that time, it's really opened up discussions on a lot of aspects, everything from the law of attraction to the power of our thoughts to how things really work. And the reality is, if you remember Mike Dooley in The Secret, he said thoughts, become things. And he was real dramatic like that too, right? And, and I agree with him. But I think the question that everybody had after is how? How does that work? Right. How does it work? And that really didn't get answered so much in, in that film. And so if we take the idea of how thoughts become things, and I've just written it here on a piece of paper, right. um, the reality is you can kind of draw a little bit of a line down the middle. Right. And if we look at these things like thoughts, thoughts are always going. The reality is you can't shut them off. Yeah. In fact, the only way that they disappear is when you die. Right. And one of the things that a lot of people have is misconceptions of thoughts because they think they've got to think these powerful, pristine, positive thoughts in order to manifest anything positive. And the reality is, is your negative thoughts do have a purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. And in fact, to, to be honest with you, there's I can't remember if we talked about this in great detail in the film, but. Um, there's actually four kinds of thinking, not just positive and negative anyways, 
right? Right, right, so right, right. Once we begin to understand our thoughts, you know, it's it's a different ball game. But our thoughts are always going to be there. The other thing is, as things, we often focus on that. In fact, that's what everybody spends most of their time thinking about. I'm going to do this vision board. I'm going to put the Ferraris on it and and the nice homes and the trips and all these things. And they're focused on the things, and and that becomes their focus. And the reality is, is things are also always there. We're not really creating them with our thoughts. Right, right, right. Um, Bob Proctor in the film talked about the Maharaji when he built his Center for Transcendental Meditation. Mm -hmm. And one of the followers came to him and said, you know, where are we going to get the money to build this? And the answer was, well, from wherever it is now. And I think that that's a very profound statement. You know, one of my mentors said it to me a bit differently. He said, you know, if you want money, the reality is they're printing it every day at the Mint. Every day they're printing money. You get to decide how much comes to you. So the things aren't aren't a problem. They already exist. Everything you want is already there. Even things that haven't been invented yet, the problems that need to be solved are there. And if we think through them enough, we will get those, those answers. But the thing that most people don't focus on enough is the how right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, we always hear this idea, if you focus on the why, the how will show itself. And I'm going to say that that's actually more personal development stuff that's not true. It is important for us to understand the how. In fact, scientifically, it's been proven that your brain never really gets started or committed to things that it could do. It gets started and committed to things it can do. Right. right. So if you yes. give it a concrete instruction, maybe write this down if you're listening today, a goal that is specific and clear becomes attainable and near. Well, why? It's because it knows what it needs to do. It's got clarity on the action it can take. So the idea of how is very important. And by the way, one of the other things that I share that um, so many of the gurus are teaching that's incorrect, you hear these people say, you got to think outside the box. That's bull crap. In fact, you've got to find a better box to think in because the reality is, is the hows are all, are always there. The idea of success leaving clues is true, right? If you want to know how to go make a million dollars, in fact, I just finished a study of 700 millionaires, like 700 self-made millionaires. It took mm-hmm. me about 10 years to do. Almost all the answers to become a millionaire are repeated again and again and again amongst that 700. There's no new ideas there. It's all been repeated. And in right. fact, something interesting, I'll just share this as a gift. If you really want to learn that information and what I learned, we started a free Facebook group called Predictable Millionaire. And you can come there and it's all free. And I share a lot of the ideas on how you can become a millionaire using the predictable strategies. There's no, no new things there, but there's some very precise things there. And it becomes very predictable. So, so how is interesting. But if you look at the movie poster for how thoughts become things, the word become is actually written smaller than the other words. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we did that was intentional. It's because become is a hidden key. It's a hidden key. Mm-hmm. It's the most important word among all that. How thoughts become things become is the most important word. The easiest way to illustrate this is uh, Jim Rohn once said something I thought was brilliant. He said, if you win the lottery and you want to keep it, you need to learn to become a millionaire quickly. Well, the reality is what we become determines what we experience. If you want to have more in your life, you need to become more. If you want to expand what you have, you must expand who you are. 
And the reality with most people is they're very content to hold on to who they are. Mm-hmm. And they also sometimes minimize themselves in comparison to what they really want. And they again are, how do we say this? The universe is an echo chamber. How you show up determines what shows up for you. So mm-hmm. if you show up with hesitation, with fear, with doubt, with um, you know hesitation, any of these things, that's exactly what you're going to get. But if you show up with confidence and with clarity and with a desire to expand and to be more and to do more and even to sacrifice at times for what you really want, everything shows up for you, right? Mm. And so I think this idea of becoming, we don't spend enough time doing it. In fact, it's interesting. My wife one time said something very profound. You've heard this saying that said, actions speak louder than words. Mm -hmm. That's true. But the reality is that being speaks even louder than actions. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And and there's a really great book. Um, I'm a big fan of the Coveys. Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey, and Sean Covey. There's a great book called The Speed of Trust. And some of you might have heard of it before. Now, in that book, he talks about the power of becoming, of being. And the reality is, is as humans, we often make mistakes, and we also often have that negative thinking. But if the essence of who we really are is a specific way, people will often forgive that. Have you ever had that where someone's made a mistake, and it's not been intentional, and you're okay with it, and you let it go because you know who they really are? That's that idea of becoming is much more uh, powerful than what they do. Right. And you've also heard that saying that we need to be it before we can do it, before we can have it. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is most personal development out there right now is designed around the do. It's not designed around the be. Right. right? In fact, if you even ask somebody, set some goals, what would you like to achieve in the next year? 90% of their goals are either going to be on the things Mm -hmm. or the how. Rarely do people set a goal on who they'll become. Yeah. We never really think about that, but it's the most important and most powerful thing that we can do. Right. So um, in an essence, we go into that in the film, how thoughts become things a little bit, Mm -hmm. but in the trainings that I do, we go into great detail on how you can become the right attractor, if you will, the right manifester, the right uh, orchestrator or conductor of your own world. And as soon as you begin to be the person, uh, everything comes together, right? There's a Chinese saying that says, um, if you know your past, look at your current situation. But if you know your future, look at your current decisions specifically related to who you are. Because our past is really what's brought us to where we are today. Everything that you have right now is a result of who you were yesterday, And so if you want something new, you've got to make that adjustment to becoming the person that will be able to receive what's coming next. Mm. And if you don't, you'll get what's kind of there by default, right? And default never, ever builds anything great. The return on doing nothing is always nothing. Oh, wow. Um, Thank you so much. This is a wealth of information. I tell you what, this is a whole course condensed into an interview, right? Mm. You are so informative and just so generous with the information that you have and in communicating it just very clearly. I appreciate it so much. Um, I'd like to shift again to who are perhaps the top five people that you've learned from? You've interviewed (laughs) hundreds of people. Who are the top five? 
Um, you know, that's a really interesting question because I also believe that that saying that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. So the reality is, is everyone that I have interviewed or that's come into my life or that has stayed in my life that I still am friends with, they continue to teach me. And so it's hard for me to say just five because every time I've needed something, the teacher's been there if I've been open to it. There you go. Um, obviously, you know, I do, I do have to include in the beginning, my parents. Um, I think that they're incredible teachers. And by the way, I'm not just talking about for wealth and everything else. I think one of the things that I really love about them is how they conduct their relationship. Wow. Right. Still together. That's amazing. Still together and happy as can be. In fact, I went on a bike ride yesterday by myself in one of the provincial parks here, and they're walking out there. I ran into my parents holding hands, walking. I didn't know they were there. Not that they have to announce to me that they're going on a walk, but right. e even in private moments where somebody sneak attacks and can observe their relationship from a distance, it's, it's great. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Now, by the way, having said that, if you're going through a tough time in your relationship, I want you to know that they work at it. It's not something that all of a sudden they fell in love and happily ever after into the sunset, although on the surface it might look like that. Right. Every, everybody has to work on these things. In fact, that's one thing that I think is important is you've heard that saying that says you can't have your cake and eat it too. Kind of true because you have to make your cake before you eat your cake, Right. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah, so absolutely. You can't be in two places at once. And so sometimes you need to make a choice. And that's, uh, again, about putting first things first in your life. What do you really want? Right? So you definitely, you know, they are, they are great leaders. But I'd have to say, if I'm picking up some of the great teachers, you know, there's one that stands really high for me. Um, and <clears throat> that's Frank McGuire. Uh, Frank McGuire... Um, just to give you an insight on kind of who he was, he started at ABC when it was radio. Mm -hmm. He gave Alan Alda, Ted Koppel, Charles Osgood, people like that, their first job. He was the philosophy teacher for Marilyn Monroe. Like he taught philosophy to her. Mm -hmm. um, he also was the marketing director for all of American airlines at one point. Wow. He was on the press team that helped get JFK elected. And he worked in the white house under JFK and Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, and he was the uh, marketing director for all of KFC. And then he was also one of the four founders and marketing director for FedEx or Federal Express. And so I think the thing about Frank that kind of makes him one of my favorite teachers for me is he came along at a time when I didn't really believe in myself. Mm. I was a young man. I didn't know much about anything in life. I didn't see anything that I could become or who I whatever. I didn't see anything for me potential. And one of his big things, whenever I talked to him about business, he'd always say the most important thing is learning how to connect the head to the heart, mm. right? To make those connections. And, um, and there were just so many little lessons that he taught me and, and things that were just profound for me. Right. In fact, here's, here's one experience. I don't share this often. And what I share it, um, I hope you get the context a little bit. So, Frank, um, he'd come over to our home quite regularly while he was alive. And uh, I remember one time for at around Christmas time, we decided to go to a shopping mall with our wives. And to be honest with you, if you know what a shopping mall looks like at Christmas time, it probably wasn't the smartest idea. But we, we didn't really have anything planned, so we thought maybe it'd be fun. So anyways, partway through the, um, the uh, visit to the mall, 
he uh, kind of said to the women, well, why don't you guys go do some Christmas shopping? We're going we're gonna to chat together. So we sat down and we had an orange Julius for those of you who know like oh, those drinks, right? Well, yeah. So I sat down with him for an orange Julius and we chatted about a bunch of things, but he was always like my grandpa, right? Like he was very grandfatherly like to me. And he said something really interesting. He said to me while we're sitting there in this crowded shopping mall, looking around, he goes, what's the most expensive thing in the world? <clears throat> and I'm thinking to myself, uh, okay, I would always joke with him. And I said, well, I don't know, as long as my wife doesn't come back with it, I'm happy. And he laughed. And then he said, no, that's not it. And as we started talking about what the most expensive thing in the world could be, most people, when I ask this question, they say things like time and all these other things are expensive. That's true. But he said, ignorance. <clears throat> ignorance is the most expensive thing in the world. Right. Because it keeps you from creating something amazing or even making money. Mm -hmm. When you are ignorant, you also make mistakes and you're not teachable. And lastly, it does cost you time, which is something you'll never get back. That's true. And so he encouraged me that I should always be on a, mi a mission, not to make money, but to get smarter. And if you can get smarter with everything that you're doing, the money will come. Um, it kind of reminds me of something else that Bill Bartman said. Bill Bartman, like I said, started out in welfare, became the 25th wealthiest man in the United States. He once told me, and we included this in our movie, The Opus, he said that if I'm ever the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. And I think that that's a really important thing to look at, too, that if, if you're looking to build wealth and you're looking to build um, more freedom of time, you're looking to have, you know, uh, expansion, whatever it is that you do in your life, you've got to start surrounding yourself with the very smartest people that you can find. And maybe that's an invitation, too, is that that's what I've tried to do. I encourage you and I challenge you to do the same. Mm -hmm. That if you don't like what you're currently experiencing, it's because you're probably getting all your answers from the wrong place. Mm -hmm. You know, John Martini once told me this. He says that the quality of your life is always determined on the quality of the questions that you ask. And I think that most of us are content to not ask any questions. We will receive as we receive. We go with the flow. Right. If the world tells us this is who we should be and what we should have, then we accept that rather than deciding kind of who could we be, who could we be? Mm -hmm. And then asking what needs to happen in order for me to get there. Right. Right. What kind of people do I need to learn from? What kind of people do I need to surround myself with? Again, even if you're let's even take it as something as measurable as wealth. Let's say that you're not yet as wealthy as you'd like to be. Well, the question is, is who could I really learn from that will help me? And I'm not saying you need to give me a call. I mean, I'd be honored if you do. But there's a lot of amazing people out there that have the answers that you're looking for. And there's a lot of incredible opportunities that are out there that are waiting for you. And you won't ever find them until you get off your bum and start asking where these where are these things? Where are these people? In fact, I <laughs> I was going to use, instead of the word bum, I was going to say but, and maybe I should, because when we're teaching personal power mastery, one of the quotes that we have is that the size of your success always depends on the size of your butt. <laughs> and it's true. It, the bigger your butt is, the harder it is for you to succeed. And the butt, obviously, I don't mean your derriere. <laughs> I mean the butt, the, the, the things that you put in the way of you receiving. Oh, I can't do that, but, or I could do that, but, or this, other people do it, but the minute that you shrink that, but 
is the minute that you begin to see bigger successes in your life. You don't want to ask this idea of, uh, you know, really that idea back to how can I do this personally? I can't, I'm not capable. No, you've got to ask, who can I bring into my life that has these answers? And you know what? The thing that's also really astounding to me is after interviewing 400 of the world's top achievers and just finishing interviewing more than 700 self-made millionaires, I probably got more data and information on these subjects than anyone in the world, possibly even including the original Napoleon Hill. And the reality that I found is that everyone is willing to help you if you ask for it. I've never had anybody saying, no, I don't have time for you. I've had people say, I can't help you now, but let's make another time, right? But the reality is, is the minute you get specific and you're not wasting their time and you've got specific something that you really want to do and they can understand it, everybody's willing to help. If you're clear on your mission and they can help, they will. And the only time I've seen where people can't help is if, if you waste their time and you don't know what you're really trying to do and you're just a looky-loo and, you know, you're just trying to take up their time without purpose. No one wants to help that. But if you're clear on what you want, everybody wants to help that and will. Right? It's huge. It's crazy. So I don't know. There's a challenge for your audience today. It's get clear with what you want and start asking for help. You'll be so surprised. Right? Like you'll never build your fortune. But if you get everybody else to help you, they'll build it for you. Literally, they'll build it for you. You know, I've had the most amazing things happen just because I ask. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. Jack Canfield once did uh, an audio CD called The Aladdin Factor. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's great. But he, he said in it, what's the worst thing someone can say is no. Right. And the reality is, is um, when I was talking to Mark Victor Hansen about how he injected chicken soup for the soul, they got told no a lot of times, but he interpreted that as next. And by the way, sometimes no is the best blessing the universe can give you because sometimes, like especially with business, and I'm building businesses all the time. I love it. It's fun for me. Sometimes the biggest blessing is that someone said no, right? Because the universe has told me I don't want to be connected to that person uh, or maybe they're not the right fit for this opportunity. Absolutely. Right? And so sometimes that's great. But you know what's funny is even those that have said no have given me help. Right? Because I've often followed up. If they said no, I'll say, well, why not? <laughs> and they'll explain. Well, thank you for that help. I appreciate it. That was useful to me. Right. Or they right? know someone else that would be a better fit for you and is a a pathway to, to make new connections. Well, it comes back to that question that I had at the beginning. Who else do you know that I need to talk to? Right. So even if someone said, no, I can't help you with that, I'm going to say, well, why not? And when they tell me the answer, I'm going to say, well, who else do you know? And I've had some awesome introductions to people that have just been fabulous. So I think the problem is, too, is that when we're told no or something similar to that, we often, first of all, take it personally, which is the worst thing in the world to do, mm -hmm. right? What do they say? If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Mm -hmm. So you've got to decide already in your heart that somebody's no is their opinion. It's not necessarily a, a rule book for you to follow, right? Mm -hmm. So as soon as you, you, you take that no for what it really is, you can also begin asking other questions. And there's nothing wrong with even asking customer, why did you decide not to buy? Mm -hmm. Right? I've gotten some of the best information in fact, one of the things that's thinking back on that is, you know, some of the programs and things that I started to do very early in my speaking business, sometimes there were people that didn't buy. And I, I hounded them down and I asked them, why didn't you buy? 
And funny enough, first of all, some of them were saying that it was simply timing for them and they did buy eventually, mm-hmm. but, but others gave me very constructive criticism. Uh, for example, one of them was that I had uh, focused too much on the length of the program rather than what was in it. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if somebody came to me today and said, would you like to buy my program at 17 hours? I'd be like, yeah, I don't have a lot of time for that. <laughs> right? Like, right. thanks. So don't lead with that. Don't lead with this is how long the program is and, and you're going to get so much value because it's 17 hours with me. You know what? The reality is most people don't want to spend 17 hours with you. They, they don't. And, and I don't think people want to spend 17 hours with me. Right. But if I could tell them, say, listen, over the course of a weekend, and I've got a program called Your First Millions on the Way. And literally, what's harder to make, your first or your second million? Always first. your first. So right. if you could have a millionaire help you on your first million, show you the systems, the strategies, and the things you need to do, and the way you need to look at things, that's a big deal. And the second one will be easier. So rather than me saying, come spend a full weekend, 17 hours with me learning about money, I'm now going to say, why don't you come and I'll show you how to make your first million and we'll do it over a weekend. Does that sound better? Totally. See, that was great feedback for you. Right. And so huge feedback, huge feedback. And so where can we find out about all these great programs? You've got a lot of stuff going on. Well, the reality is, is, you know, I didn't want this to be a sales pitch. If I read, if, if what I share resonates with you guys, Please seek me out if it resonates. I've got lots of great stuff and we've helped thousands of people all over the world. I'm going to suggest that probably the best and the easiest, go to Facebook Mm -hmm. and just join that group, Predictable Millionaire. Yeah. If you like what's in the group, from time to time we post other things in there. You want to join us on some of our programs, you're welcome to do so. Uh, They've been rated among the top in the world, so I'm pleased with that. But the reality is, is, is you've got to first of all determine if it's right for you. Right. So I I don't want you to, you know, it's funny because I know that people look for social proof on they want to see the testimonials of other people and all of this kind of stuff. I think that's important. I'm not denying that. But I want to share that I think the best way to find out if something's for you is come participate. Yeah. If you can make money with my free stuff and if you can get yourself to another level with my free stuff. Well, and you like me, I guess that's another important thing. Right. You might not like my teaching style. Right. Um, but if you find value in it, then it's worth continuing the journey. And it doesn't matter what other people have received or been able to do. Right. Um, if it works for you, it works for you. Right. And so you've got to find what resonates best for you. And if it does resonate with you, if you like my style and you like what I do, then I'd love to work with you. And if you don't wonderful, there's amazing people out there that probably are a better fit. And so I, love it. the world is not scarce. It's there's not so much, right. There's so, much, so many opportunities. And so, yeah, go to Predictable Millionaire on Facebook. You just type that in and come join us. If you, if you love what's going on there, go deeper. Why not? I love it. And I will put out another plug for How Thoughts Become Things. I thought that was a great a great movie. I know you've got a program built around that as well. We're and actually looking for people who want to be coaches of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so the movie's on fire, and obviously when you're coaching it, I mean, you represent the movie, which is everybody, like Bob Proctor and Joe Vitale and all these big names. And so if you're a coach and you love that kind of content, it's a great opportunity. Uh, I was always surprised that The Secret itself never had a certified coaching program to teach people how to teach the law of attraction. Right. But, um, but we do. 
And, and I think it's important that if you're going to learn this stuff, that you're not getting it from just somebody who saw the movie and has their opinion of how it should be taught. You should be getting it directly from the source. And so Absolutely. to us, that's really important. Right. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. It has been so great having you on, talking about all of this stuff. You're so humble, so generous with your time, so generous with your information and knowledge. I totally appreciate it. Everybody, go join that Facebook group. That sounds great. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today, Doug. Anytime. Angels. We all have them. There are unseen guides, our companions, our teachers, and they're all around us. Sometimes they make themselves known in the most miraculous ways. Join me, Angel Communicator, Reiki Master, and QHHT Hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman, with stories from real people who have experienced real-life angel encounters. Well, for our first ever real-life angel encounter, I am joined by Erin. Erin, thank you so much for joining me today. It's oh, good you're to so be welcome. with you. welcome. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm just so excited to get this going. And you had a really good story. Can you tell us what happened? Uh, Well, yes. And I think about it often because it really shifted my life. Uh, Just to give you a little background, when I was 19, uh, I was raped. And from 19, well, you know, uh, it's just part of my timeline. I, but thank you. Um, it took me about 10 years to heal from that. Uh, and someone said, well, congratulations. You've gone through the final stage of healing, letting go of the unconscious. Well, Hmm. as we know, um, those things never truly leave us. And so it was, oh, I don't know, probably 10 years, um, after that. So in my mid thirties or so I was, um, in the Johnson County area living. And for some reason on a Sunday morning, I felt the need and the draw and, uh, the call to drive down to the Nelson Atkins museum. It's my favorite place in Kansas city and it's always called to me. And so I got in my car and I started driving And what I felt was this real churning in my gut um, of some emotion. And I knew exactly what the emotion was coming from. And I could just feel it just welling and stirring and um, expanding. So by the time I got down to the Nelson Atkins Museum and parked along the street, I was a total mess. Like mm-hmm. we are talking full on ball. <laughs> um, you know, every, everything was, you know, flowing, um, including through the nose and, and the mouth. And I uh, just buried my head into the steering wheel. And I had to remind myself that I was, that was when I was 19, you know, it's almost right. 20 years later stay in the present moment and you are safe. You are okay. And I looked up from my steering wheel and there's this 
gentleman that was walking by and a poor guy was walking his dogs and I don't think he knew exactly what to do with me because <laughs> I was just a just a tearful mess. Oh. But I gathered my uh gathered myself, uh wiped the tears and knew that I was called to the Nelson Atkins Museum for a reason and I needed to go walk around the sculpture garden. Mm-hmm. Oh for if for those of you who are not from Kansas City and listening to this, the Nelson Atkins is a gorgeous, gorgeous, world-class art oh, history museum. Hands down. World-class, a beautiful museum. It's got a beautiful sculpture garden around it. Yes, yeah. very much so. And so I was called to walk around, and as I was entering the sculpture garden, the little rock entrance, a complete almost takeover, if you will. Uh, I felt the presence of, I know for a a fact, it was Archangel Michael Mm -hmm. and Archangel uh, Raphael. And I am telling you, Christy, the wings on these angels were massive, were massive. And I had Archangel Michael on my left side Mm -hmm. and he uh, was, you know, put his arm through mine and Raphael was on the other side and linked arms with me. And even though I was physically walking, I really felt like I was levitating and they were guiding me through the sculpture garden. And just that reassurance of this massive, if you will, uh, feeling of grace Mm -hmm. came over me and I have been forever grateful for that moment because I really haven't had any of those um, you know, moments where like kind of the, the regurgitation, if you will, of that, uh, all those emotions since then, because right, they were right. there to guide me. And the, the wings, it's just, it's still, I was sharing the story just before I hopped on that I was going to be on with you today. And I was sharing my story and I said, uh, to my friend, you have no idea how glorious these wings were. And I, I'm just covered in goosebumps, just thinking about it, but the grace and the love and the fact that I was called to my favorite place Right. In the Kansas City area since moving here. And it's they were calling me to one last time, I believe, to release any of that residual. Not that I don't think about it anymore, but that final kind of goodbye of that energy that I yeah. had around that, you know, if you want to call it a traumatic, it really was very traumatic, <laughs> traumatic mm-hmm. moment in my life. Absolutely. And to kind of release that. And they were there to support me and to guide me. That is absolutely beautiful. I do not doubt for a second that those angels were on either side of you. I mean, we, we feel them. It's undeniable when we have these encounters, I, I think. Uh, so like what senses did you perceive them with? Um, well, you, again, I probably now, because I'm a little more aware of, uh, of mm-hmm. these, uh, these guides, mm-hmm. I, back then it was just really just a, um, just a, that gut feeling. And I've that learned to feeling. trust my gut because I think that that's a, you know, 
gut is God, spirit, the universe telling you something. And back then, I really didn't have a complete understanding of what that was. I just knew that I was being told that I needed to go down there and they were going to meet me there. It's just, they, that was their way. Yeah, it really is. And I think we, sometimes we can, we complicate it. Yes. A lot. We complicate things. It can be just as simple as meeting a friend somewhere. Mm -hmm. And you know, when we, and that's why I ask about the sense, like what type of sense did you perceive is that, um, when we get that sense, even if it's, if it's a, it's a visual sense, it's, it's glowing. If it's a auditory sense, it's usually very etheric sounding. Um, but not always. And if, if it's the gut sense, it's the, the feeling, it's usually just so undeniable. It's realer than real in some ways and can often be right. And, and Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And when I really tuned into it in that moment, uh, I really wasn't even driving myself, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. like I was physically doing it, but I was not in control because I do remember just feeling a while the heaviness of the experience was welling up inside of me. Right. There was a a, a lightness as I was driving down there. And honestly, I don't even remember really driving down there, if you will. It was, I was just, you know, the angels had taken the wheel and allowed me to get down there and, and allowed me to at least park the car before I couldn't see because of all the tears. I'm grateful for that, you know, Um, (laughs) because I'm, I, it was as soon as I pulled into the parking space and mind you, this was a Sunday morning. So there weren't a lot of cars on the street, but I knew if I didn't park soon, I, it was the, the tears were coming <laughs> and I was not going to be able to see. And I was probably going to be a, a dangerous a danger to anybody else on the road. But, um, it was almost such a healing part of that final, even though someone had said, well, you've let go of the unconscious, you know, Aaron, so that's the final stage of healing. I really and truly think, Christy, that those angels showed up to say, oh no, this is the final stage of healing. I love that. And we are here for you no matter what. And the fact that it wasn't inside a building, it was Mm -hmm. within nature um, there wasn't anybody else around. Um, and to have the, the grace of those two, uh, angels there just really helped guide me. And it brought to light, I think when we talked about, um, over, you know, complicating things and right. it brought that simplicity. So it, I think sometimes when we tune into that, we can realize in other moments lighter moments. I've had encounters with, you know, angels off and on, but in a very light sense. And I think Mm -hmm. there, they allowed me that moment in time to prepare for other moments for them to come in and not in such a abrupt, you know, um, way in a very, in even more simplistic way for them to come in and, you know, just tap me on the shoulder every once in a while and, you know, remind me that they're there. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, we truly are never alone. And that's why I started um, doing this work. In fact, I just, I feel like I'm on a mission to let people know we're not alone, never, ever for a moment. Uh, But there are some moments where we're more aware than other moments. And when we do have that um, that awareness, we have that sense that they're with us. Perhaps we have some sort of glimmer of their, their sight. Sometimes we may hear something. Sometimes we, f- we feel it in the gut. But we, the last sense is that we have that knowing. We just know that, you know, you could say that feather came out of nowhere, but I know it came from an angel, right? You know, it's like you could say that you, you felt like you were, you were lifting up and kind of gliding along, but I know something else was going on. So there's that knowing that comes in as well. And I love that you have other stories too. We might have to bring you back to tell some other stories as well. I feel like we all have them. I, I, yeah, I, it's, it's such a gift to ourselves Mm -hmm. if we will allow our, uh, our hearts and our souls to open up to the possibilities of knowing. Right. And that's so powerful. Um, You know, we're in an environment right now where a lot of people are spending a lot of time alone. And I thank you for the reminder that we aren't um, and and verbalizing that for everyone to hear Mm -hmm. because we aren't alone. No, every moment. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Right, right. Every moment we've got our guardian angel, we've got archangels, we've got ascended masters, we've got anyone who we want to call in, but we're surrounded at all times with these loving beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel that, you know, and belief is not required. There's not even a, we don't even have to believe in angels to know that they're there. Although it is helpful if we do, <laughs> because, and I love what you said about just being open to the possibility. And that really allows for such magic to happen and such magic to come in. Just that openness. It's like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't have to know what's going on. But I'm just open to the grace. I'm open to the divine. I'm open to the possibilities. And that does allow for these things to happen and for us to have that knowledge and that, that knowing, be able to feel them around us. Yeah, I just I just loved your story, and um, I loved how you know you had this this depth of despair. You thought you were done with it, but just like a laundry basket, you know, you take a layer off, and then you can get to the next layer. And that layer was coming up for healing, and you weren't alone to do it. And just listen to that guidance. How many times, you know, we we kind of feel like ah, it'd be nice to go to the Nelson today, or I just kind of feel like I'd like to go for a drive, but then. We put it, put it away. We shove that feeling down, but no, you listen to it. So I've really, had enough of those experiences where you know it's you believe me. If you ignore it and you just push it aside, it will keep coming, and you wonder why you trip up the stairs or why you know you. And I've just learned to pay attention to those things. I'm like. Oh yeah, I didn't listen the first time, and now you're reminding me. I just stubbed my toe, you know, um, that type of scenario. Uh, Absolutely. And when you've got, when you have that knowing, may may I share briefly about a human experience? Please, Do we have time? Please. please. Okay. Oh yeah, please. So, 
part of this awareness that came about from the Nelson experience with the two angels, I was rushing around. Uh, I was participating. I was helping out with an art auction for my son's school and I needed to pick up a sample vase and I uh, ran into Walmart real quick and I went to their floral section and I had a meeting after that and I knew I was pushing it but I, you know as moms we all try to like fit everything in and when we're working and all of that and I went down the aisle and I picked up my vase and I saw this woman there and she was um she was older she was elderly and out of the blue she asked me I saw her looking at some of the uh, like I don't want to call it necessarily potpourri, but like the, the decorative stuff that you put oh, inside sure. face fillers. You're right. Yes, right. exactly. And she stopped me and she said, may I ask your opinion? And I said, sure. And, you know, the creative side of me is always, you know, loves that moment. So I, I made a few suggestions and I could feel the sense of urgency to make it to my next meeting completely subside. And I got so calm. And I know while I didn't physically have an angel presence at that moment, I had the voice of spirit come to me and say, no, 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 you're not supposed to be in that meeting. You're supposed to be right here. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it because this woman, she shared with me that she had lost her husband within the year. And this was her first Thanksgiving that she would be by herself. And she was hoping to, she wanted to do something new as a centerpiece for the Thanksgiving dinner. Mm, mm -hmm. So I helped with all of that. And I took the time and took a breath and I knew I was called to be there. Right. And at the very end, I helped her put the stuff in the, in the cart and she touched my hand and she said, I know you're busy. I could tell, but I want to thank you because I think God put you here because I needed you to be here and I want you to know, and she used the word angel. She goes, may the angels watch over you. And I was like, ma'am, I said, you've been a gift to me because I wasn't supposed to be anywhere. Yes, you're absolutely right. I have a meeting that I'm supposed to be at right now, but there's no other place that I needed to be. And I was called to be here. So you have been a blessing to me. And I walked out, I made a call and I said, I'm running five minutes late. You're just going to have to start without me because I was called to be there. I was called to be there. And I, I consider that an, a, a moment of um, grace. And when she said, may the angels watch over you, I was like, there was no That's other it. place I was supposed to be. I, Absolutely love that. And we, you know, we can either choose to recognize that and say, yes, that was truly a touching moment. I really needed to be there. Or we can continue with our lives. Of course, we've got that free will. We can continue with our lives. Like, look, lady, I would love to sit here and help you, but I really have to go. And she probably would have understood 
you know, sure. because we do understand sure. that, hey, I'm bothering a complete stranger here. But, you know, you both chose to recognize in that moment that there was a true connection. And I believe that, you know, our guides, our angels, a spirit can put people in your path. It doesn't have to be a physical, it doesn't have to be a, an actual angel. It can be a physical person at the angel's place. And that counts just as much. She was my angel that day. She was my angel that day. Right. Because the rest of the day I put my priorities um, in proper alignment. Right. And, you know, uh, it, it enriched my life. And I think about it often and you are absolutely right. How many people, it kind of opens up the question when you recognize it, how many other people have I missed? Right. How many people have I missed? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love how things just kind of naturally dovetail and flow together. All of the things that, you know, we know, mindfulness, awareness about energy and angels. And in that moment that all came together, you chose to be very mindful in the moment and just savor the opportunity, listen to the woman. You know, so many times we don't even listen to people and you chose to listen and she chose to listen to you and then you both chose to recognize it and be mindful in that moment about, this was extraordinary. This felt really nice. This felt like it was needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times we're just busy bustling that we don't take that moment and stop. You know, that kind of reminds me of a, a moment where I was, uh, oh, I was driving and crying. <laughs> you know how that comes with oh, yeah. your first story. Your first story, <laughs> driving and crying. I've had a lot of those. <laughs> had a few. I've had a few. <laughs> And I came to an intersection near, you know, for those who are in Kansas City listening, the country called Plaza. If you're not from this area, it's just a place where it's a nice part of town and there's often a homeless person standing on a corner. And I get to a light and there's a homeless person standing on the corner. And I was, you know, like you said in your, your first story, I was a mess. I was ugly crying. I am not ashamed to it admit it. I was ugly crying. And I thought, Oh gosh, this guy, I'm going to have to make eye contact with this guy. And so I just looked over at him and he taps his chest, nods his head and points to the sky. And he locked eyes with me. And I, Oh my God, I'm getting very emotional. just now thinking of it. But in that moment, I knew it was Archangel Michael in human form, or at least a human that was sent by Archangel Michael. And the connection, the warmth that I got from this person, it completely lifted me and completely lifted my spirits. And it put me in a way different headspace. And I remember that just as, I mean, this was 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. I remember it as if, I mean, your story too, I'm sure you just remember it as if it was yesterday. And it touched me. But, you know, I could have, oh God, there's a homeless guy. Let me see if I've got some change or like, don't make eye contact because I don't have any money to give him. And, but no, it was, it was 
you know, very similar to your story. It was just, it was transformative. It was magical. Um, thank goodness I was mindful and present and recognized it for what was for what it was. It was a beautiful moment. One mm-hmm. little treasure, right? And well, life should be beautiful. It yes. really should be beautiful. It should be beautiful. It should be beautiful and full of joy. Um, and we just bombard ourselves with other things. So how... How amazing. I'm not sure what I would do if someone that, you know, on the side of the street, you know, tapped his chest and pointed upward. I mean, you made me emotional. I was like, whoa, that's powerful. That is so powerful. No words, right? No, no, even no words. And it was a transformative moment. So yeah, we can be, these things go on around us all the time. We just have to be aware, be open, as you said, right? Open our hearts, just like you said. Open our hearts to the possibilities um, and just be, just be aware. And we can choose to see things. I think it was Einstein said, we can choose to see things in one of two ways. One is if nothing is a miracle and one is if everything is a miracle, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of like the why and why not, you know? Well, why if it can be, if it can be this way, if you say it can be this way, then why not? Why, why can't it be this way? Right. You know, why not? Why why can't it be the other side of the coin? If you will. So, right. You know, a a cynical person might say, Oh, well, that was just a chance encounter. It's like, you know, you really think that was a something special. It's like, yeah, I do. What harm does it, what harm does it cause? You know, it makes me happy to, to know, have that knowing, you know, does it matter? doesn't matter, but I really do choose to believe that that was something a little bit more than usual, a little bit more than human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Aaron, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. Um, I loved hearing it. And the second story, what a bonus. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today. Well, you are very welcome. Uh, Be well and be blessed. You too. Be well and be blessed. Subscribe and follow wherever you're listening now and be sure to tell your friends. The more people know about this podcast, the more great story submissions we get. Submit your own real life angel encounters to angelencounterspodcast at gmail.com. Want to know what your angels and loved ones have to tell you? Schedule an appointment with me at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of A Guided Life Podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.